Hello, welcome back to the Female Guys Requested Podcast. I'm your host Ting Ting. Today's guest is Miranda Oakley. Miranda is a badass climber and is best known for her free and speed ascents on big wall routes in Yosemite. Miranda is a AMG rock guide. She guides in Yosemite and teaches classes near Bishop, California. I had the fortune to work with her in 2021 and witnessed firsthand her fine craft on rock. Since then, she has embarked on another big adventure in life, having a baby. I caught up with Miranda on February 9th, and we had a great conversation about the new life, her climbing and guiding, the adjustments she had made, and her outlook on the next steps. Yeah, I just checked、uh, the very first text that we exchanged. It was almost two years ago. So, oh yeah. yeah, when I came, yeah, when we guided together in Red Rock, right?、Mm-hmm. Just two years. I think a lot of going on in your life. I got a lot of questions to ask you.、Uh, awesome. I think that I actually want to cut in the ones that I'm most interested. In、okay. asking if you don't mind,、yeah. is that your new addition to your family? Oh yeah. And <laughs> so, how old? Sorry, I wasn't、uh, even following. Is that a he or she? <laughs> yeah,、um, she's a girl. Yeah, her name is Alora Gale, and she's eight months old today. Actually, Whoa, it's already eight、yeah. months. Oh. Yeah, I know. It went by so fast.、Uh, so you、yeah. know, I'm always curious. Like, I don't have kids. And、um, I think it's pretty hard, as I can imagine, for people in our line of works. So I actually read the、um, the article you wrote for Mountain Hardware. So the one I really like the title. You say becoming a mother, not unbecoming myself.、Mm. When did you write the article? Gosh, I think I was probably around six months pregnant. So, gosh, I don't know. I think it was like the winter of twenty twenty two. In that article, I think I read a lot of questions, like question that you ask yourself, and also quite a lot of manifestos. Just like, okay, this is what I want to become. Kind of answering、yeah. questions. So, yeah. <laughs>、um, so. From six months pregnant, and now with your baby, is already eight months old. Do you think all those answers kind of got answered, or? Gosh, now I can't even remember what I wrote. But <laughs> I remember thinking、um, after I I had read the the article, like just just after Alora was born, I remember thinking like, "Whoa!" Like I didn't know what I was getting myself into here. <laughs> like I. Yeah, I, mean, I think I said it was like hoping to train and、um, keep guiding and all that,、um, but obviously it's been a little bit harder.、Um, yeah, you know, and then how much time consuming? <laughs> and how much、uh, break、um, you took from teaching and guiding, working? I mean,、uh, well, so I took my Yosemite season off because I gave birth in June, and so. 
I wasn't able, normally I guide in Yosemite and the Valley and Tuolumne Meadows, like, you know, May through the end of October or into November. And uh, I, I wasn't able to do that season um, at all. So, and then, but instead of doing that, I actually started um, teaching some classes in sort of, I guess it was early October. I started teaching climbing classes over on the east side. Uh, because I mean, that was just a two day a week sort of commitment and it was a lot more manageable with a baby versus like working four or five days a week, um, in Yosemite, like writing multi pitches and stuff. So. Right. Because the time commitment is a little bit less, I would assume. Yeah. Just not, um, just only working a couple of days a week versus like, yeah, three to five days a week. And then also, um, I mean, I, I was able to guide like some shorter multi-pitches, but I, it's hard to commit to like a full day of multi-pitch climbing when I'm still like breastfeeding and have to pump sometimes. I so see. <laughs> like logistically, I'm not, I'm sure there's a way to do it, but I haven't figured it out. So. Right. I, I guess that's right. Because right now when baby's so young, you have to, yeah, breastfeed the kid. You can't just... <laughs> yeah babysit and everything yeah and well yeah if you're trying to like keep breastfeeding I guess this is why a lot of women stop breastfeeding after they go back to work but if you're gonna try to keep breastfeeding and work at the same time you've got to like pump and um you know just to keep your milk supply or whatever um and then you know you obviously pump and like feed that to your baby like the next day or usually you know something along those lines so, um, but yeah. So when I worked with you in Red Run Spring 2021, uh, I thought you took a break from guiding Yosemite, and that's just because of COVID. Yeah, that season, um, they didn't open the guiding service that I work for in Yosemite. So yeah, I did take like a year because off. I, I soon saw that you started to offer. Um, classes in Eastern Sierra, like the big, your big world classes. So I thought that you were transition already back then before you was pregnant. Yeah, no, I mean, I, um, I worked another season after 2020. So I worked 2021 season, but yeah, during 2020, because of the pandemic, um, they didn't open any service that I worked for in Yosemite. So right now, do you think that you would still go back to the valley to guide or you want to take a break? Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, I love Yosemite and I love guiding there. So I really hope I can go back and work there. Uh, realistically, we'll see, you know, I'll have to, I'm still learning about <laughs> what parenthood is like. And, uh, but yeah, I hope to keep guiding in Yosemite if I not see. this summer, at least eventually, you know, and do you always have a plan to have a kid or it was a very recent decision? Uh, yeah, I've wanted to have a kid for a long time now, but um, I was always kind of on the fence about it. Like, um, you know, the idea of having a kid has always been really intriguing to me. And um, it just seems like an amazing or it just has always seemed like an amazing thing to do. Um, but yeah, like kind of into my 30s, I started thinking, you know, like, I, I do like rock climbing. And 
I do love the life that I have as a climber and getting to travel the world and go climbing. Um, and so, yeah, I was definitely on the fence a little bit in my 30s just because of the biological clock and thinking, well, if I want to have a kid, I should probably start trying to do that. Um, uh, yeah, and then I met my partner and um, he's psyched on having kids and he just seemed like a really good person to do that with. And so, yeah, um, the last couple of years, I was more on the side of wanting to have a kid. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we I did it. <laughs> quite a lot of people I follow, um, like female athletes or guys, it seems like you all started to have kids around the same time. I know it's kind of a cool surprise when after I got pregnant, learning about all these other, you know, super badass uh, women who were also getting pregnant. So yeah, because I was just listening to this one of the recent podcasts, this Run Out podcast. They were interviewing Libby Salter. So who? Is, oh yeah, I yeah. heard that one. Oh, you heard yeah. that one? Yeah, and, <laughs> I listened to it. And in that podcast, I think. I remember she mentioned about something like feminism fail her in a way because women just mm. can't have it all because it's a biologic clock and yeah. us, us if we can climb this long adventurous run also have mom uh, be a mom on the side and everything. Do you also feel the same way? Yeah, well, I definitely feel like you know, it's a little bit unfair. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, but yeah, women kind of have the short end of the stick, I guess, because yeah, we've got these biological clocks. And, you know, we're kind of, kind of, I feel like a lot of women these days kind of almost get forced into making this decision because, um, you know, I guess, it's hard to say if you're going to be able to get pregnant, like later in your life. And, I was considered, you know, advanced maternal age, which they used to say geriatric pregnancies. Um, but um, yeah, I feel very lucky that I was able to, you know, have a baby and still do a lot of the things that I was able to do. I think it would have been really hard to do all of those things if I had had a baby or gotten pregnant kind of in a normal time of life. And when I say normal, I guess um you know what's considered normal by our society which is probably like late 20s early 30s I don't even know but I feel really lucky that I was able to uh, keep climbing through that time and you know have a baby at 38. Right and obviously the well we can't really change that you know we are women um but how about other aspect because I know the people usually the society usually put a lot of expectation and pressure um, to a mom say mm. like a mom has supposed to do this way but in that aspect um, do you get you feel like you get support from say your partner and your family and and all that so to help you with this pregnancy thing? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've just had kind of like the ideal situation with my partner and my parents and my partner's parents are all so supportive. 
of me. Um, and even with that support, even with like hundred percent support from my partner, my family and all that, uh, I still feel like it's the scales are tipped to one side, you know, like my partner's great and, you know, he's able to keep working through all this. Uh, but and at the same time, I acknowledge, you know, because I want to keep breastfeeding and, you know, um, things like that. I, and I also like our baby is so young and just so needy still um, that I kind of have to put my career off to the side. And I just feel like, um, you know, overall there could be more support for women that uh, women could kind of lean on aside from their families and even their partners. It would be cool to see if they're, they see there be more support um you know from our society for women who are having babies because you know it's still hard even with all the support you know I have like the best situation possible but I really um you know I feel like it can be really hard for women or obviously is really hard for women who don't have that support um and that happens so much you know in our country so I see yeah. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, it's it's just hard, even though I can only imagine because I don't have kids. I I have I only have two cats, and it's already pretty difficult <laughs> for me. Oh, <laughs> that's sweet. I would I want cats too, but we're yeah. we're like okay, one one small thing at a time for now. <laughs> and then, did you still climb through your pregnancy? Like, when did you start climbing? Like for yourself. Um, you know, I was climbing less and less throughout pregnancy, but I think the last time I climbed was like, I was probably eight and a half months pregnant. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like I was climbing every day at that point, but, right. um, you know, we just, we were in Yosemite, so we decided to climb there. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least I know that you're not the only female guy that I know who has kids. So yeah, I, I think you would do just fine. And hopefully you you still well after your kid say grows up you would do more like when she's more independent you can do a lot more stuff to come back to you yeah and, and these are the few these are the years where they they need mama especially if you're breastfeeding they really need mama and that's where i was saying, you know that's where the skills get tipped to one side you know biologically speaking again after having the baby you know Yes. Um, but yeah, I look for, I still really enjoy guiding and teaching classes. And I definitely see myself doing that more after she gets bigger. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Because I know that you, you, you mentioned in your article that you put some goals on hold, which is kind of funny because the more we do it, the more goals we start to develop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So just like, when yeah. are we going to do that? I think like time is very short. Totally. And yeah, so that's a combat about your climbing and, and guiding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I um, maybe we'll start from the very, very beginning. So uh, I yeah. know you grew up in Maryland. So you found climbing because your mom took your you and your brother to a climbing camp, that type of thing. Yeah, we um, my mom started taking my brother and I to this climbing gym. I was like, close to our house in Maryland. Um, and then we um, joined the junior team there, the, like kids team for. So 
Is your brother cl still climbing though? No, you know, he, he did get into it those like few years when we were climbing together in the gym, but it didn't, he didn't like keep going with it after, after so that. So you were the one who caught the bug and got Exactly. Going. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you also mentioned in your articles that you found it really hard to fit in when you were in high school. And I'm always like curious about, uh, and you also mentioned that you were not good at sports. Just like, how can Brenda said that she's not good at sports? She's like, climb so hard. It must be, she, you, like, you must be very athletic. So is that in American school system, good at sports very narrowly defined? Uh, well, I guess, yeah, in that sports were, you know, team sports with balls. And, like it was like soccer basketball or lacrosse and I just wasn't yeah I mean it's funny that when people say I'm athletic because I never thought of myself as athletic as a kid um because I just you know had a hard time like you know catching the ball and <laughs> kicking the ball and mostly it was like the ball sports um yeah, yeah so I, I guess maybe I was like lacking coordination <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I'm just like curious because I've heard so many climbers say that they were not good at sports in school and somehow they found climbing and then climbing is the thing. Yeah, totally. I wonder, sometimes I wonder if it's that, you know, because they weren't good at the more conventional sports, they sort of found climbing or if it's something else like climbers who are really good at whatever it takes to be good at climbing. Um, for some reason that, I mean, I do know some climbers who are also good at like soccer and mm -hmm. basketball and things like that. But yeah, I've noticed, like you were saying, a lot of climbers who are bad at kind of yeah. traditional sports. Right. And so basically you stay in Maryland for until you went to Yosemite, right? Yeah. So I, you know, grew up in Maryland, went to high school there. And then college in Maryland as well. And after I graduated um, college in Maryland uh, in 2006, I moved out to Yosemite National Park to work right. and climb. So you you climbed some in college too? Yeah, I, I didn't climb. I didn't get to climb as much in college because um, there wasn't a gym there. A climbing okay. gym, which is where I kind of normally climbed. And um, when I went to college, it was kind of like um, down in southern Maryland on kind of a peninsula surrounded by water. So it was like really flat area. Uh, even near where I grew up, we had some smaller climbing areas like Great Falls in Virginia and Carter Rock in Maryland. Um, so I at least had those areas to climb at when I was in high school. But then when I went to college, those areas were like two, two and a half hours away. And then, you know, climbing out in uh, West Virginia is kind of like the closest bigger climbing areas. Um, that was like seven and a half hours drive versus oh. before when I was growing up, it was like five hours. So um, definitely climbed a lot less in college until I uh, studied abroad in Spain. And that's when I got to do like kind of got introduced to like sport climbing and sport leading and kind of definitely took my climbing to the next 
level, I guess. <laughs> and how long did you stay in Spain? Yeah, I studied abroad in Granada in southern Spain for six months. Six or months. I guess it was it was five months and then we went to we did like a climbing trip after that for one I month. I see. Yeah. And when doing the study abroad, did you try to climb as much as you could? <laughs> Yeah, I did. I, I think um, the study abroad program that I went to wasn't super hard and they didn't they didn't take my grades like they took the credits, but they didn't take my GPA. So I kind of, um, you know, I skipped a lot of classes and went climbing a lot of days when I was supposed to be studying, I guess. Nice. <laughs> well, I, I think going rock climbing is a type of studying. And... Yeah, I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and sure. especially I don't know. Um, I've never been to Spain. I always want to go because it's very famous for the yeah, limestone sport climbing. Mm -hmm. um, did you, when you were there, was climbing popular there? Um, yeah, it was more. At least it was more popular there than it than climbing was uh, where you know where I was going to school in Maryland, yeah. where there was like no climbing. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it was. Now, what people portray it seems like all the Spanish climb, uh, something like that. So I was just kind of wondering, yeah, what kind of like I, climbing culture you experienced back in two thousand six, five, or yeah, I guess that would have been two thousand and five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was really cool. Um, you know, for me at the time because I had barely traveled and really barely climbed that much either. Um, it was. To me, it was like a pretty awesome experience to get to climb in another country and meet, meet like the local climbing culture there. Um, and, you know, I kind of break away from my like study abroad group that I was with. Um, it really allowed me to kind of experience another side of uh, Spain or Granada. And then you living. say that you learn a lot, like what stuff, what kind of stuff you learn? I mean, Everything, notable. everything yeah. from like learning how to lead belay with the Grigri to like what the word was for tufa in Spanish. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, it was definitely good for my Spanish. I got to practice my Spanish a lot, which was like you know half the reason why I was wanting to study abroad in Spain, anyways. Um, just you know, talking to other climbers at the crag, um, and then you know, given that I think before I had left for Spain, I had done like two lead climbs. And because a lot of the climbing areas I had gone to outdoors is like top rope accessible. So you could hike to the top and set up top rope. So I'd mostly been doing that. Um, so then, you know, it's in Spain, obviously it's like limestone sport climbing. So there's not really like an option for, you know, setting up top ropes. So I ended up leading a whole bunch, um, which I hadn't really done before. Like nice. sport climbing leading. Yeah. Then since I didn't turn you just completely into a pure sport climber because you came back and then traveled to Yosemite. <laughs> so, um, so what made you go to Yosemite? You just like, okay, pack up and go. I had a friend, my friend Ellen, who was one of my good friends from college, had gone out, I guess, in the summer of 2004 during our summer break from school. And she worked at the Tuolumne Meadows Grill in Yosemite High Country. 
And um, she like literally wrote me a letter every week because back then we didn't have like emails or hand, handwritten. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even think I had an email address. And she was, I was getting like letters from her every week about just the adventures she was going on. And um, I had like really bad FOMO, like fear of missing out, you know. Um, and so the following summer uh, after I graduated college, I decided to go out there. Um, and my friend who was working there the year before, she didn't work there that year. So I have, I was inspired by her trip, although she wasn't out there. Um, but I did drive out with one of my best friends and um, climbing partners at the time, my friend Chris and my boyfriend at the time and another one of our friends. And we all drove out west in my friend's like uh, Saturn, you know, it's like a really small car and we... Um, we did like a road trip across the country, stopping at some different climbing areas along the way. And yeah, they dropped me off in Yosemite and I managed to get a job. Nice. And before you went to Yosemite, did you already know that Yosemite is the climbing mecca? I mean, I knew that it was big and yeah, I, I guess I had an idea that it was like climbing mecca. I guess when I got there though, I didn't realize like, how much I had to learn, you know, like I, I was kind of a newbie back then, but I thought because of my trip to Spain and all this, that I was, uh, you know, the shit, I guess, for lack of <laughs> better words. I was like, oh yeah, like I know what I'm doing. Um, but you know, I hadn't even placed a cam before. I didn't even know how to place like trad gear. Um, I didn't know how to build an anchor and, you know, my friend who had been out there the season before, she wasn't much of a climber and she had said like, oh yeah, like there's plenty of stuff you can do. Like we didn't have any gear and we were able to like go bouldering and, um, you know, hike up mountains and stuff. And I was like, okay, so, you know, right. I don't need trad gear for this. Um, but yeah, at that point I didn't even know how to place a camp. So a trad rack wouldn't have done me much good, I guess. I see. And is, is there any sport class in Yosemite even because I don't think so is it some there are there are a handful of sport climbs I mean I could probably count them on both of my hands no there's more than that there's probably like 20 or 30 sport routes okay. in the valley maybe more but yeah they're kind of few and far between I see compared to like how much of how much trad climbing there is I guess yeah because people ask me I just like mm, I think you might need to learn how to climb trad to go to Yosemite. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like it's easier to learn how to trad climb to go climbing in Yosemite than it is to like try to find all the sport climbs there. Right. You know? <laughs> and then so, well, I mean, eventually you, you place your first game in Yosemite, I assume. And yeah, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I'm just saying that. How did you learn trad climbing? Uh, yeah, I was really fortunate. I mean, you know, working there, I was able to like meet a lot of people who climbed and, um, and then I even, I had a roommate one season who just let me use her trad rack whenever I wanted or whenever she wasn't using it. Um, and yeah, I guess I just figured it out. It took a while, you know, it wasn't like overnight. Uh, but, uh, I kind of figured it out. I had a lot of ethics. I had, you know, I failed a lot. <laughs> I got in over my head a lot. I I ate climbed 
like not on a purpose a lot you know pulled on a lot of gear <laughs> so basically you said that you have some friends who kind of gave you some pointers and stuff and then you and then yeah you i would say out. it was like it was a combination of um you know friends teaching me like uh, some things here and there and figuring it out with other friends who also didn't know what they were doing um yeah. <laughs> and back then, like at least in the beginning. <laughs> back then, have you, um, the thought occurred to your mind, say, oh, maybe I'll hire a guy and then learn. I was not thinking that. I mean, simply because I didn't have any money. I was, right. you know, when I first moved out there, I was working as a dishwasher and making, you know, minimum wage. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't, definitely wasn't thinking that <laughs> yeah definitely because also a lot of people ask me this question it's like should i go to a school or like learn from a guy or can i just learn from friends like well obviously now probably you and i would recommend them to hire a guy um, <laughs> yeah but, but i guess one way you can put it is like if you want to um you know if you want it to take a really long time and you want to have some epics and fail and be scared um, but learn a lot then yeah don't hire a guide but if you want to like streamline the process a little bit more and make sure you're being safe then maybe hire a guide <laughs> okay i mean not right? definitely people that who learn from us i mean at least learn from me i don't guarantee they won't have an epic eventually that's but... true yeah hopefully they do <laughs> <laughs> right, I think some app that doesn't kill you actually make you yeah, stronger for sure. Definitely. And <laughs> wow, then do you find um, well, so you try and error learning with friends. Is any like particular friend that you probably would consider them more of a mentor? Uh, yeah, well, my one of my ex my ex-boyfriend josh who i also worked with um he taught me a lot i mean we were a great we had a great partnership going because we had like really similar climbing goals um but he had probably like a i don't know maybe a decade more experience than i did just climbing in wow. that type of terrain um you know while he, i was learning to climb in maryland in the climbing gym he was uh going you know sport climbing in the red and then he had started you know started coming out to yosemite a lot earlier than i had and um just you know had just like a ton more experience than right. i did so he taught me like all these little things like um you know like how to pack the day pack and you know how to aid climb you know ways to like make aid climbing more efficient um things like that i we i learned a lot like climbing with him and plus um, just like going out climbing, like having a reliable partner to like go out climbing with, um, just gave me a lot of mileage and I learned a lot from that. And, uh, but yeah, he was definitely like a really good mentor to me. Nice. And so you work for many years at different camps and cafeteria, washing dishes, serving tables and stuff. And then eventually mm -hmm. you start working for Yosemite Mountaineering School. Yeah. Yeah. So my first year of rock guiding there was 2013. 2013. I yeah. I did my um, AMGA, the first AMGA course, whatever they call that now. 
Right. Um, and then. Um, so I'm curious that um, was that kind of in your mind that maybe you would do that as a job instead of um, the previous jobs that you do? Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely didn't want to be a server forever, although I didn't mind the work back then. But um, I don't know, it's sort of something like I, I guess I fell into it because well, so I guess before my summer, um, before 2013, the summer of 2013, when I started rock guiding, I did one season um, in 2012 as a hiking guide. And where I worked as a hiking guide was the same, you know, same office, same job as the climbing guys. It was just a different position. And my boss at the time uh, was sort of encouraged me to go through with the first AMGA course, American Mountain Guides Association course, um, so that I could uh, guide rock climbing in Yosemite, uh, which was definitely a good idea because it was definitely a better job suited for me than hiking guiding. When you went through the AMGA program, did you learn things new? Yeah, the, especially the first course going from, you know, not having done really much guiding and, you know, some instruction, but not a lot of guiding. Um, having gone from like almost no guiding experience and then doing this course, I learned a lot from that. Um, but before... You work for Yosemite Mountaineering School. Uh, you have some instruction, instructing experience already. Yeah, definitely. I mean, starting with almost my almost my first job in high school when I started working for the climbing gym that I was climbing at. Um, and what did you, you teach know, in the climbing gym? I just taught people like the basics of climbing from like how to belay to like how to use their feet on the wall. Um, so that was kind of like one of my first jobs. And then after that, um, I started a climbing club at my college and, you know, took people out and that wasn't, you know, it wasn't a job. I wasn't getting paid, but I was taking people out climbing and teaching them the I, basics there. Yeah, I remember you mentioned in one of the podcasts, I heard that that club, you only have a handful of people. Yeah, it wasn't a lot of people. Back then, climbing wasn't nearly as popular, so it was kind of hard to get people to go out. But we did have, a, like, a good little crew, and, like, they, we'd get some beginners coming through every once in a while. So so basically, when you mentioned teaching, is not teaching to the core crew, but maybe the new people that you bring out? Yeah, I guess I didn't do too much teaching during college. It was just, you know, try, mostly just trying to get my friends to go rock climbing and I see. teaching them. And then in or after college, in in between my Yosemite seasons, I uh, did a couple seasons in China, and teaching and guiding there, teaching kids to climb. Yeah, you went to Yangshuo, China, right? Because I've been yeah. there before. Oh yeah. And I also know the company China Climb too. Oh cool. Yeah, because um, I went to Yangshuo, China a lot later than you did, so there's mm -hmm. a lot of local guiding service pop out here and there. But I think China client yeah. has been there for quite a long time. But I think China climb might be started by Westerners or expats. 
Yeah, it was. I think the owners were Australian. Oh yeah. Okay. Like yeah. Yeah. I never met them. <laughs> I never met the people who owned the company. I see. Yeah, because I remember I went there, but because I speak Mandarin, so I mainly interact with the Chinese speaker. Well, obviously you want to stay in Yosemite, right? So you really like the climbing there. I know I feel that as a climber, probably like, I don't have to explain how great Yosemite is, but I kind of like to hear from you. What do you think it's great about Yosemite? <laughs> well, I guess like if I had to be really specific about it, it's that the walls are so tall and so sheer, I guess. And it's all within, almost all within biking distance. You know, like yeah, a wall like, easy. <laughs> yeah, like a wall like El Capitan, you know, in other places in the world, you might have to hike three days to get to it. But in Yosemite, you can ride your bike to it and hike 10 minutes and get to the base. <laughs> and that is pretty nice. <laughs> it is pretty nice. But one thing I found it very difficult is logistics. Oh, totally. Yeah. And like me, I don't have a job or relationship there that... I found it really hard to have to stay in line to get a sign camp for or book like four yeah. months ahead for any of the campsite in the pines. So yeah. was that like your reason? Just like, okay, I need to find a job here and there, whatever that is. So I can <laughs> yeah, definitely working in Yosemite is what has allowed me to stay and like climb the things that I've done because yeah, logistics, even if you're, willing to sleep in the cave and, you know, run from the rangers and all that. Like, it's still really tricky and hard to figure out logistics in Yosemite. Um, and yeah, I mean, the reason why I worked in Yosemite was so that I could stay there, um, you know, indefinitely and be able to climb as much as I wanted, you know, or at least as much as my work schedule would allow. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I feel for people who are trying to climb in Yosemite and just having like, just, you know, want to have a casual climbing trip to Yosemite Valley because it is such a pain to deal with like the camping and the parking and even the traffic, you know, and then there's the crowds of people like on the walls as well, you know, definitely it's like logistics all around. Well, I'm not assuming the guiding is your childhood career dream <laughs> and <laughs> no <laughs> do you, i was just wondering when you were a kid did you ever think about what kind of job you want to take or or some, uh, honestly, somebody like, they want to become when i was a kid i wanted to do everything you know like i wanted to be a nurse i wanted to also be a doctor i wanted to be a professional cheerleader like i wanted to, <laughs> i wanted to be a firefighter I wanted to be all the things as a kid. So I never would have thought that I was going to be like a climbing guide. Yeah. But you like it, right? So I do. Yeah. What What do you like about it? What kind of. Oh, what do I like about being a climbing guide? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I like that I can sort of perfect that this, this craft that I've been working on almost my entire life and it sort of helps me in my career you know um that I can kind of like you know it allows me to put more focus on my climbing I guess um 
And, you know, I just, I do really enjoy like taking people out and teaching them to become, you know, rock climbers. And, um, you know, even if it, you know, everything from taking someone on their first multi-pitch to teaching someone how to climb a big wall. Um, I really like, you know, enabling people and helping them become sort of self-sufficient and just helping them enjoy, you know, what I enjoy so much. Um, yeah. I think Yosemite is not that ideal for beginners. Um, I mean, at least in my opinion, there are, there are some handful of like easy multi-pitches, but it seems like most of the multi-pitches are like, you need to have at least some experience to be on it. So I'm curious, like what kind of, uh, guiding assignment do you usually get? Uh, yeah, well, in Yosemite, we get everything from people who've never climbed before to people who've been climbing for longer than I've been alive, um, who are, you know, just almost like want a climbing partner. Um, I see. And so, yeah, we have like our classic areas, you know, that we take people like the Swan Slab and manure pile buttress, but there, you're right. There isn't a lot in Yosemite Valley. That's great for beginners, especially like in the multi-pitch category, because, um, you know, it goes from like a 500 foot five, six to like a kind of hard, like 500 foot five, eight, which, uh, you know, in some places, I guess five, eight would be great, but in Yosemite, yeah, sometimes rock. it's like, yeah, like, the rock there is so good and there's like actual features, but in Yosemite five, eight means like it's slippery and you have to crack climb <laughs> and, you know, it might be fine if you know the valley, you know how to climb grade it, but you know, for someone who's mostly just been climbing in the gym, you know, even five, eight can be pretty difficult in Yosemite. Yeah. Um, but actually Tuolumne Meadows opens up a lot. So, you know, I've, guided a lot in the Yosemite Valley, but also in Tuolumne. And luckily in Tuolumne, we have a lot more uh, moderate multi-pitches oh, that are fun to guide on. Right. Because uh, I, I guess I only climbed two routes in Tuolumne, so I don't, I'm not very familiar with that. Oh yeah. Which routes did you do there? I don't know. Some dome. <laughs> I don't even remember. Uh, some dome. Yeah. <laughs> I was it down. <laughs> it's just like a long slab route. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah. And kind of run out that's kind mm. of like i recall but i don't remember the name of the route when you were in the valley did you kind of guide full time yeah well after yeah when i started guiding um in yosemite i was definitely working full time like um you know up to six months of the season and everywhere from like three to five days a week depending on uh what time of the year it was it's always like a little bit slower towards the beginning and towards the end of the season but then and um, this, did, did that affect your personal climbing time though that you have yeah you know it was i think um just being tired from work and not having as many days to climb the stuff that i wanted to climb um you know it's hard to like i'm always climbing harder when i'm not in my guiding season I'm always like climbing a bit harder and doing or at least I'm doing more stuff like on the shoulder seasons but that also 
lines up with when it's actually really nice to climb in Yosemite is like kind of the spring and fall seasons. And luckily that's when it, you know, traditionally hasn't been a bit slower for guiding there. Oh, so what is the yeah, busy time in the The busy time is actually in the middle of the summer, which is why like we the end middle up. Of summer. Yeah. So that's why we end up going to Tuolumne a lot, but it, our guiding season sort of follows like the general tourist season rather than the times of year that it's popular to actually go climbing in Yosemite. Right. So yeah, like June through August is like, I'm working five days a week, um, like every week and not getting much of a break, but then, you know, April, May, it's usually a little slower. And then in like September, October, November, it's a little slower. A lot those slower. are good time to go climbing. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. Can't complain. Right. <laughs> well, um, I didn't realize. I thought that people just go during the climbing season too. Well, that's when like most climbers go to Yosemite. But you know, a lot of our clientele in Yosemite are, you know, they're more on the tourist schedule. So, you know, most places, um, you know, tourist places or like national parks get really busy in the summer, even though. It's it's like too hot to do that much, you know. Right. So, and any notable stories about guiding in during those years? Oh gosh, so many stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just even in my last season guiding, I um, was on Medlicott in Yosem- in Tuolumne up in the high country. It's this big dome up in Tuolumne and uh I remember thinking like we could probably pull this off and but it was you know there was some thunder cloud th- thunderheads or thunderstorm clouds like building and you know right on the last pitch I think we're, what were we climbing it was like a 5-8 excellent smithers I think it was called uh, but on the last pitch um you know there was a few raindrops and I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep going and we'll wrap like after um, the third pitch. Because otherwise, we were, we were planning on wrapping either way um, because otherwise, you know, it's this huge like hike to get down. So we were going to just go to like the second to last pitch and rappel down. Um, so like on the last or second to last pitch, I was starting up. And there was a couple of drops. By the end of the pitch, it was like pouring and we still had to wrap, you know, the route and the whole wall just turned into a waterfall. Wow. You know, it, you know, and that's like been happening to me since day one. Like even my first summer, I remember like doing one of my first multi pitches in Yosemite and um, the whole, you know, dome turned into a waterfall during a thunderstorm. <laughs> and here I was after like so many seasons, like climbing and guiding. Um, and that dome just turned into a waterfall because you know, we thought we could get away with, you know, right. another pitch before repelling. <laughs> uh, then how did your client react? Um, she was actually, she was great. Um, she was pretty, I think she liked the adventure. Um, nice. She was the one who was telling me, like, we should go. Like, she's like, come on, let's just do it. And I'm like, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but okay. Because she, like, really wanted it. And um yeah, so, you know, she couldn't get too upset at me <laughs> for getting soaked. And <laughs> right, that's nice. Um, actually, uh, you mentioned 
that is a she. Um, when she approached uh, Yosemite Mountain School, did she particularly ask for female guides? Uh, I don't know. A lot of times she was a client that I had for like a few days. And so I was with her like the whole time. And a lot of times when they, they're matching clients, they, they will like put me with the women who want to climb because, but so I don't know if she even requested a female guide or if they just matched us up because, you know, we we're both women. <laughs> I see. And what would you say the ratio there in general, are you? male guys and female guys there uh typically throughout the years it's usually been just me um just you and yeah and then there was like a couple seasons uh maybe two or three seasons in there where i had female co-workers wow that's then, then how many male guys there? uh i think they usually staff around 12 people okay well yeah okay so <laughs> I, I bet you probably requested, but they just probably didn't tell you. I was assuming it's possible. Yeah, I mean, they didn't always tell me, but yeah, if it was um, if they were just requesting a female guide versus like if it was a returning client requesting me specifically, then they would always tell me. But if it was, you know, just someone saying like I want a female guide, then they wouldn't necessarily tell me. <laughs> and then, so you are one of well. Sometimes the only female guy. Did you find it challenging sometimes just being the only female guy? Um, not among like my coworkers or, you know, my office staff or whatever. I think everyone was like, I mean, we had, it was, you know, it's most of the people that work there are my friends. So, um, and we, a lot of us like will climb together in our off time um, and hang out together in our off time. So, um, you know, I didn't have any of this like judgment of like, oh, is she going to be able to do the job or anything like that? Because, you know, I was climbing with most of these, you know, most of the people I worked with were also my main climbing partners. Right. So. Yeah. Because, um, I think you're, well, you are a mountain hardware athlete and you, on your profile, I read this, um, they have this question to say, what impact would you like to have on the guiding industry? I don't know whether you even remember. Well, your answer. So I'm going to read this to you. It said, I hope that my impact on the guiding industry will be to help transform people's idea of how a climbing guide looks and acts. So basically you mentioned that, you know, for the general public, they probably assume the guy, probably a white male, that's a very typical impression. So you mentioned that sometimes in the office, they will mistakenly saw that you were the office staff instead of the guide. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering, so do you ever thought about what kind of changes that you want to bring to the guiding industry? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that statement. Still, I like, um, you know, working with you, working with other, you know, female guides. Um, I like sort of transforming what people think a guide, climbing guide you know, is supposed to look like. Um, just because, I mean, what, I think what most people think of a climbing guide should look like is a pretty narrow, you know, it goes beyond being white and male. It's like, has like a buzz, you know, like, or not a buzz cut, but like a kind of a clean cut hairdo and maybe even a plaid button up, like outdoorsy t-shirt, you know, and this maybe wearing guide tennies, um, so it's a pretty narrow 
LVU. So even seeing people who, you know, are are dudes but have like long hair, maybe a more of like a hippie look as climbing guides is cool to see, or just like other women or um, women of color, you know, it's cool to see that and how, you know, it's easy to kind of transform what people think of something when their view is kind of a little bit narrow around that, you know? True. So I guess. Yeah, I guess I don't even know what I thought about like a guy should look like, um, like the stereotype. <laughs> In the past, I thought that guy <laughs> might look like a climbing dirtbag, but obviously <laughs> they want us not to dress like a dirtbag anymore. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've been told not to dress as much like a dirtbag. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, have the modern gear and everything. So mm, not Yeah, that, that too. Yeah. <laughs> So you've been in guiding so more than 10 years, right? 2000. Yeah, I mean, six, wait, 2013, <laughs> sorry. So right now, oh, it's, it's you're hitting the 10 year mark. Yeah, about a decade now. Yeah. Then have you, so you, you're not like the senior guide, then have you ever have experienced like coaching or mentor? newer guides um i mean just a little bit like informally um but not yeah not not really with other other guides i'm i'm doing the scarpa mentorship program oh, okay. um with the climber but she's um she's so badass she's more badass than i am so i'm not i'm not sure how much of a mentor i am to her but um you know um She's interested in becoming a guide, but we haven't like um, done a lot together yet. I see. That, so. But did she ask you some question about how to become a guide? That type of thing? Um, not yet. Right now, her her goals seem more focused on um, perfecting her her craft so that she could guide more because she's interested in sort of like the bigger mountains of the Himalaya. And so she's learning to ski, she's learning to ice climb, and hopefully she'll come back to the state soon so we can go rock climbing together and we'll have something I can maybe help teach her. But <laughs> Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. So you will have the real mentorship experience. Then, you know, if that happened, I would like to any follow up with you because like, now some people ask me whether how to become a guy. I just like, I don't know, just take classes on the MGA. Yeah. Yeah, the MGA is great. <laughs> yeah. So during this 10 years, have you found any notable change in the guiding community? Uh, yeah, I feel like I have seen it become a little bit more diverse, maybe. Um, but I don't know if that's because it's actually becoming more diverse or if I'm just like meeting more people. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> And that's actually gosh, my question too, because, um, you know, since, you know, I'm a climber of color, so I follow a lot of all this different Instagram accounts that promote diversity. So I just like, it look like people are coming out, but then say, I go to say Utah climbers, like, oh, I don't see. <laughs> yeah i would like to hear what you think about the same thing it's like because you've been guiding for a long, long time and 
you've been like kind of in that circle for a while so i'm like have you seen yeah it's like hard to tell if it's um you know if the climate community is actually becoming more diverse or if it's something that's just being celebrated now and being promoted on social media it's it's hard to say i would say they're probably a lot more women now because mm -hmm. i go to yeah. the amga annual meeting for quite a few years in a row except for the covid time they, when they didn't have it and i i saw more women i mean but the majority That's still cool. white male obviously yeah but i i certainly do see a lot of diversity in the climbing community there's a lot more climbers of different backgrounds especially in las vegas and i visit my parents in pacific northwest so mm. over there they just a lot more Asians, I guess. So people cool. came out. So it's a little bit different for sure. But if I go to, say, Utah, Wyoming, then I found that I don't see that many climbers mm. of different backgrounds. So I guess mm -hmm. along the coast, there are more diversity. But then, mm. yeah. That's interesting. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So... No, I want to ask you about your climbing. <laughs> yeah. So I know that's probably, well, you, um, you rope solo the nose in a day. That's probably one of your most well-known record. Mm -hmm. And probably you no longer consider that's that notable because you have so so many other best clients under your belt mm. <laughs> but i still because i read an article about that i'm like so, have some question yeah <laughs> about that to ask you so did you learn how to rope solo also the same approach you learned track climbing basically by asking your friend and just figure that out <laughs> try and error yeah pretty much i mean it's like in your it, when you're like living in Yosemite and everyone's climbing and doing this stuff. It's, a, it's you can get a lot of information just talking to people, and so I definitely like asked a lot of people, um, you, you know, just in my community um, about different techniques. And um, you know, at the time I was really into just climbing the nose in general. <laughs> Right. Like I would do it for my days off. We just do run up the nose um, one day. Um, and so I was getting a lot of practice with climbing kind of fast on El Cap and using some different techniques that you wouldn't normally use on just like a regular multi-pitch, like short fixing and things like that. And, um, you know, the thing about short fixing is like you're kind of soloing anyways. So with short fixing, you fix, you pull up the rope. Uh, or after you lead a pitch, you pull up the rope and you tie that to the anchor and your partner down there is just like, you know, ascending the rope. And then you take that extra rope that you've got and use it to uh, rope solo the next pitch. So I was getting a lot of practice rope soloing in that sense, even though I had a partner. Shorter, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was like shorter. And as soon as they got up to the belay, they put me on belay. Um, but it was like a lot of practice. And so, um, yeah, I guess I got a lot of practice doing it that way. And 
it translated really nicely into just like soloing the nose. Um, nice. Because there's a lot of the same techniques. And why did you do in August? <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> I, originally, I thought that, oh, you know, because in spring and fall, if I'm busy working, so then, but then you say the summer season is busier. <laughs> so I'm so, then yeah. <laughs> why did you do in August, which is hot? <laughs> well, I have actually climbed the nose in the summer a lot of times before, and it wasn't, you know, it's not always that bad. Um, oh, but because there's like a breeze the up there and then, yeah, you get to avoid the crowds that way. And, um, and you know, the days are long, so you get a lot of daylight. Um, but that particular day in August was really hot, I have to say. And I was definitely like rethinking my decision. I was up there and my, you know, my brain was frying, you know? Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it can be, um, it can be like, good to climb or it can be like nice climbing El Cap in the summer um depending on the weather I guess <laughs> I I assume maybe it's because you are usually local so you kind of <laughs> know that you can do it I somehow I feel when you travel to a place I always try and pick the best season yeah I would definitely recommend if you were going to come <laughs> you're traveling to Yosemite to try to climb the nose in a day, you know, don't, don't come in August if you have a choice. <laughs> come during spring or fall. <laughs> yeah, because at that time, I read it, I was like, wow, August, why is Miranda there? <laughs> but yeah, you I, I don't it know off, if I'd recommend that. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the thing that you did in August is, it was even more impressive than the 24 hour <laughs> mark. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was hot up there, but I think the, the advantage of it, August, is that the days were long and there was like almost nobody else up there. There was only like two other parties, which I was actually surprised to see them up there. I know. What were they thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are they, what are they doing up here? <laughs> so you also mentioned that, so you, you say you really like to do the nose, you just kind of ran up to it and... You also like to repeat climbs that you like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I don't know whether I ever repeat climbs myself. So what, what do you think you get from repeat climbs? You should be more efficient and know the route or you just like it so much that. Yeah, it's more like I just, well, with the nose, it is kind of, it was for me at the time, really fun to like try to make like become more efficient and get faster but like in general I like repeating climbs just because I like the climb a lot you know and so it's just you know and it's so much fun to climb the first time I just want to go back and climb it again and or sometimes again and again and again right (laughs) and then you have like free climb free rider right you think you can go back to trying to send it in the day Oh, that would be amazing. That's like a life goal for me, but that's one of my goals that's sort of on hold at the moment because, um, you know, just what it would take for me to get into that sort of fitness level of being able to climb the free rider in a day, I think is going to be really hard to do for the next few years with, you know, a baby being so little and right. having to spend so much time with her. But it's just going to... You you think it's still gonna be in the back of your mind, right? 
I mean, I think it'll always be in the back of my mind and it would be amazing to one day do it, but I'm not like, uh, you know, going to be too hard on myself if I don't I do it. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of nice to think about it sometimes. Yeah, totally. You have traveled a lot. So starting from the college in Spain mm -hmm. and then you went to China and then it's probably after that was Patagonia, is that right? Um, And yeah, I guess so. That was my next big trip. and then more recently, probably the Middle East. Mm -hmm. What do you think you get the most out of all these international trips? Um, I, I love traveling and seeing different cultures, but I've never been uh, that into the tourist sort of like um, traditionally like considered touristy activities, I guess. Um, I like going somewhere and staying in one place for a while. I guess I guess I like traveling, but I don't like the traveling side of traveling. So for climbing, it's like perfect for me because I can go to one place and just stay there and not, um, I think what is hard for me about traveling is, um, you know, going from one city to the next city to the next city and only spending a day or two in each place. But when I've climbed in these different areas, you know, I'll go down um to you know south america for like three months and stay more or less um and just stay in like you know maybe two or three different areas during those three months um and just get to climb a bunch and even though i'm not seeing um uh, or going traveling to a new area i'm still able to see a lot of new things by doing these different climbs in these areas um when you go to Patagonia, you probably spend time in the mountain for the most part, right? Did... I've been all over. I mean, I've, I've been to Shelton twice and spent some time there. And then I've also spent some time in northern Patagonia and just other areas of Argentina and Chile. Oh, yeah, because I've been to Patagonia and somehow I, I didn't learn too much about culture. But you're different, though. You speak Spanish. It must help. Yeah, I mean, yeah, speaking, uh, knowing the language has helped me, you know, connect to people, I guess. Um, yeah, and when I went to El Shelten, I mostly hung out with my, um, like, friends from the U.S., so I wouldn't say I, like, you know, saw much of the culture in that area. But then, um, you know, I did, I've done four trips to South America, and... Um, on each of those trips, I spent like two or three months in in the area. So, you know, I spent like one month in Shelton on one trip and then travel up to northern Patagonia and climb in some areas and then go to like, you know, Arenales near Mendoza or, you know. Um, and yeah, just meeting people along the way, meeting other climbers along the way. That's, that's another thing I, I do like about uh, climbing is or climbing as a medium for traveling is that I feel like I get to meet a lot of other like local climbers and um, it's kind of a cool way to like learn about the culture and meet like local people um, that I wouldn't get to experience if I wasn't climbing. So. So you've been to Middle East twice, is that right? Mm-hmm. And... I actually listened to 
the podcast that you were interviewed by Chris Kalouz and the Normalcast. Oh yeah, and I think it was、uh, pretty much about、uh, your Middle East trip. I don't want to repeat the questions there、um, because <laughs> I can refer people to go listen to that podcast. I I do curious about like that about that trip because that trip is kind of special to you, right? Because you kind of connect with your mother's size family ish. I don't know how.、Uh, to... Yeah.、Mm-hmm. Well,、um, my mother was born in Palestine,、uh, but most of our family lives in the U.S. And so、um, I wanted to sort of go to Palestine because I'd always heard about it from my parents or from my grandparents and other family members.、Um, but I didn't have a lot of family there to reconnect with.、Um, So it was really cool,、um, actually, getting to climb over there、uh, because there is this small but very vibrant climbing community, and they took me in like one of their own, and、um, it was just really cool to,、um, you know, meet all these people who were、um, climbing there and just getting, you know, the locals tour of the climbing areas and the city. Given their sensitive political situation,、mm. would you recommend people to go there? I do recommend it, but you know it's not always that great. You know, some like right now specifically might not be the best time to go there.、Um, but there are times when it is somewhat safe to go there, and、um, I think traveling there as an American, you are a bit. Uh, you kind of get the best of both worlds, I guess, and I think it is one of those places where you might be a little bit safer as an American than、um, as a Palestinian trying to travel.、Um, but yeah, you know, there's there are good times to go and less than ideal times, and I guess you know, just make sure you're up to date with like the news and what's going on in the area before traveling there. And what is the climbing there like? I know you mentioned about some too far limestone, and there's some like big sandstone wall. Are there many routes that you can spend a long time there? You could spend probably. I mean, you could go for anywhere from like a week to like months or a year there and climb. Especially because there's you know in the region, you know, there's Palestine or the West Bank. In Israel is a relatively small region, but it's、uh, it's got a lot of really good limestone climbing in that area. And then over in Jordan, which is not super far, I mean, this is all like within the size of like California or less, you know.、Uh, over in Jordan, there's some really cool、um, sandstone big walls. It kind of reminds me of Red Rock a little bit, but、um, t- kind of a different look or vibe there. <laughs> Uh, and then in Lebanon, there's also some really good climbing as well. So the whole region, there's there's a lot to do,、um, okay. and it's definitely worth a trip for sure. Yeah. Wow, that's kind of cool. It, you you think that you will still, well, once your baby is bigger, you think you still keep doing international trip? 
I'd like to. Yeah. In fact, I'd like to squeeze in a couple of trips like before I have to start paying for her airfare because I think it's like two years old and you have to buy a separate ticket. So I'm hoping to like get a at least one international trip in before she gets to that age. Hold on. And have you thought about um, where you want to go? I mean, I would love to go back to Palestine. Um, I would love to go to Greece and Turkey. Yeah, I would love to. Gosh, honestly, a lot, there are a lot of the places I want to. I just want to go back to. <laughs> back to Chile. <laughs> Back to Palestine, back to Jordan. <laughs> you right now also own your business, right? It's because you're teaching in Eastern Sierra. When did you start teaching there? Uh, yeah, so I teach through, in the, in the Eastern Sierra, I teach my clinics or classes through a guide service so that I didn't have to get my own insurance or permits. Um, and I started doing that, gosh, what year was it? I think it was 2018 that I started teaching like my own uh, classes over here. Basically, they are kind of different time frame than your Yosemite season, right? Yeah, like the idea was to kind of generate some work during the off season from Yosemite. So then yeah. you split your time in the valley and, well, in Yosemite, the valley and Tuolumne and Bishop? Right? Yeah, exactly. So you have a residence in Bishop. Yeah, so right now I'm living in Bishop and I've got my place over here. And um, yeah, like typically I would, you know, take, you know, from May until October work in Yosemite. And I noticed that you offer, well, you offer intro to tread, intro to big wall and self-rescue classes, mm -hmm. which can we typically consider, well, probably not intro to trap, but big wall and rescue, um, a more or less advanced course. Or the most advanced or the least advanced? No, the more advanced course. Oh, more oh um, I don't know. I guess, hard I think intro to big walls is probably the more advanced just because I would recommend taking the self-rescue course anytime you're kind of like leaving the ground um doing multi-pitches and then the intro to big walls class would be like um yeah definitely after you've been climbing a lot of multi-pitches yeah because i remember i don't know where i saw that but you mentioned that you want to offer this course because most the guiding service offer more of an entry-level course like intro to try intro to lead or just going out climbing or beginning multi-pitching stuff. So did you worry that you would be hard to feel back when you just started? Uh, a little bit, but I think um, my idea was that all these folks who were taking the intro, the intro, intro classes would maybe want to learn more eventually and you know, just because climbing is such a uh, amazing thing that people get really into. So I kind of figured, um, you know, as I was watching climbing get more and more popular, that eventually all these folks who are like kind of, you know, I'm sure you've seen it, like climbing has gotten really popular in the last few years. Um, so, you know, at some point, all those people who are getting into climbing, 
I don't think it's like people are going to just get into climbing for a little bit and quit because it's so, such an amazing sport that everyone loves to do. So my idea was that like, well, all these folks who are getting into climbing are going to want like more advanced classes soon, if not already. I, I certainly feel the same way because I have people who ask me for more advanced class and I'll just like, mm. uh, but usually it's one or two, but it's kind of nice that you put it out there. So you kind of know, they kind of have somewhere they can go to, because I think I, I saw your recent courses more like selling really well, I think. Yeah, we're doing pretty well. Yeah. And figuring you, it out. <laughs> and you even offer women only class. Did you also offer women only um, intro to big wall too? Yeah, I think I've got a women's only class uh, for intro to big walls and the crack and tread climbing class. Nice. Um, Anybody ask you to give them even more advanced class? I haven't have anybody ask you, hey, Mirena, can you teach us how to rope solo? Uh, I've had people in my big walls class ask about rope soloing. Um, but no one's ever asked me like a, I don't think I've, I don't think I've gotten any inquiries about rope soloing specifically or like more advanced class than intro to big walls. To be honest, I, intro to big wall, you only give two day class. Mm. To be honest, it seems like it's kind of short. Yeah. Well, that's what I feel like when I'm trying to squeeze everything into two days, but it's, it's hard to market a class. I, maybe I should try, but, um, it seems like two days is a really convenient length for a lot of people because, you know, mm -hmm. people have weekends off and it's hard to get people to commit in general. So that's why it's an intro to big walls. It's just, um, you know, the basics and, you know, I tell people like, you're going to have to like, keep learning and you'll learn a lot. Like the first time you uh, go up a big wall or try to go up a big wall. <laughs> so then maybe you will have say big wall two or one, maybe. Yeah. Although, I mean, I haven't figured that out yet, but yeah, so far I'm just doing intro to big walls and, um, and then it's like, yeah, if you want to hire me to take you up a wall, I'll teach you everything I know. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I guess you can take them up to some wall and use them. <laughs> so looking forward, um, you have courses coming out of the spring, right? Uh, yeah, I have um, Intro to Big Walls courses. I think I have three Intro to Big Walls, one self-rescue class, and two classes um, that I'm advertising. Instead of Intro to Trad, I'm uh, pushing for Crack and Trad lead climbing classes so it's kind of like a step above the intro to trad climbing class because i think a lot of people kind of have their intro to trad a lot of people that i've talked to a lot of my clientele um you know have been uh you know cleaning trad climbs or like you know following on trad leads and things like that and they want to get sort of like their systems dialed and learn more about like Belay management on a multi-pitch or, you know, um, setting up trad anchors that are a little bit more tricky than just like a perfect crack, um, things like that. I see. So this is going to be like ongoing. You have this plan to just keep doing it for the following years, right? 
that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. But but at least that's in the plan. <laughs> So I know yeah. that if somebody travel to your area, send it your way. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. And I always ask this question throughout your climbing and guiding career. Do you have any role models? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I have some role models in different senses of the word. Like, um, you know, I have, there's other, other ones of my other, like I have coworkers who have had kids and are making it work. Um, one of the, one of my coworkers in Yosemite had a kid a few years back and she's still guiding. And so it's really cool to look up to her for like, um, you know, not only, not only like guiding, but, you know, uh, advice on like being a mom and climbing and things like that. Um, And I guess it's always nice to see that somebody you really know very closely that kind of pull the same thing off. Totally. Yeah. It's a, a huge inspiration just to, you know, climb with her and see that she's guiding and, um, you know, she keeps telling me like, oh, like this will get easier once, you know, Alora gets bigger and, you know, now, you know, my kid's doing this so we can do this. And it's, it's really cool to see that she's just like making it work. And have you ever thought that, you know, what kind of role model you want to become, say, maybe for your daughter or maybe for somebody else to look up to you? Oh, that's a really good question. I guess, I guess as a role model, I think having a good attitude is really important. Just taking things as they come and not trying not to get too upset about things when they don't go according to plan. And I guess being kind and, and gracious and, um, sort of uplifting, trying to up uplift the people around you. Nice. Yeah, it's like kind of the role model I'd like to become. <laughs> I, I mean, gosh, that's a really good question. Yeah, but I think your answer was, <laughs> was really nice. Um, oh, thanks. yeah. My final thoughts, actually, I'm curious, like, what other big goals do you have that you're, like, putting on hold? Mm-hmm. I don't have any like specific goals, but my goals now are to like, Um, sort of change my mindset around climbing and um, kind of instead of going after I guess this doesn't sound so romantic but like instead of going after the adventure and the like 24 hours of climbing goals um, I want to get better actually at like training um, getting stronger like lifting weights hangboarding <laughs> And just even learning more about the training process um, in order to like try to push my physical limit a little bit more and like maybe project some harder grades. <laughs> I think it's a but... good goal. I mean, given your situation right now, it's probably <laughs> would fit your schedule really nicely. exactly. That's actually why I've like kind of shifted my goals is to sort of conform to my new Uh, lifestyle as a mom and um, you know having to be accountable for like most of the day and I feel like shifting my goals to like pushing my personal limits will kind of push me towards bouldering which I think are 
that already I found is a lot easier with the baby and single pitch climbing, which seems to be a bit easier with the baby than obviously like multi-pitch or big wall climbing. <laughs> But. Yeah, and and I think that will pay dividend to say in the future if you go back to long round because if you feel if every single move is a little bit easier, then the whole round is gonna be easier. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it will happen. I yeah, I, I trust the process. Once you learn how to train, yeah, that's what I'm yeah. hoping for. <laughs> yeah, and. All right, I'm 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 so glad that you um, spend this time. I know right now your time is pretty oh. precious. Maybe you can spend this <laughs> one and a half hour training. <laughs> oh, this is really nice. Thanks for having me. It's great talking to you. Hopefully, I was. I don't know when I'll be able to see you in person. Hopefully soon. Yeah, well, you let me if you come. Let me know if you come to California or Yosemite and or Bishop, and I'll let you know if I well, make it out to Red Rock. To crash. Just... Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I don't know. That. I can't promise Yosemite. I can't promise Yosemite okay. anymore, but right. definitely in Bishop. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. I'll well. talk to you soon. Yeah. All right. Bye, Ting Ting. Bye.